نحن نقص عليك أحسن القصص بما أوحينا إليك هذا القرآن وإن كنت من قبله لمن الغافلين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته All praise is due to Allah, the one and the unique It is He alone that we worship and it is His blessings that we seek He is the Lord of the oppressed and the one who answers the dua of the weak we were continuing inshallah ta'ala in our series about the prophets, al-anbiya wa-rusul. And before I go on, uh, the last lecture that I gave, I had mentioned some of the main figures that are mentioned in the Quran by name, and also some figures that are disputed. Uh, over the course of the last week, uh, a number of emails came about uh, the fact that I had uh, forgotten a person. Uh, actually, the list was not conclusive, the list was not comprehensive or exhaustive, and I did not mention this person on purpose because uh, I viewed the controversy as being what I call a dead controversy, a controversy that is not a, uh, a tangible one, and that person was Luqman alayhi salam, Luqman. And Luqman, of course, is mentioned in the Quran by explicitly my name, and uh, yes, it is true that uh, one or maybe two authorities in the very first generation of Islam, the generation of the Tabi'un, uh, that they uh, mistakenly considered Luqman to be a prophet, but in reality, uh, pretty much the, the, the definitive statements from uh, the giants, uh, you know, even from the Sahaba, Ibn Abbas and others, is very clear that uh, Luqman uh, is not a Nabi, but rather a uh, a Hakim, a wise man. And that's why Allah says that we gave Luqman al-Hikmah. And uh, his advice is generic good advice. And so uh, Luqman, um, technically, um, if there's an exhaustive list, then he should be on that one. And therefore, if you want to add him that uh, there has been a controversy, I'm not aware of anybody who held this view uh, throughout the last uh, 12 centuries. Maybe there's one or two, but uh, the, the mainstream Mufassirin and the scholars of Hadith and those that comment on these issues, uh, they have come to the conclusion that Luqman was a Hakim, a wise man. And by the way, there are some uh, fabricated ahadith about Luqman uh, or, or, or Munkar, like very, very weak. Uh, and all of them mention that he was a man from Africa, a man from the Nubia, uh, and uh, he lived, some say that he lived during the time of Dawood or before Dawood alayhi salam, and that uh, he was a man who uh, was uh, a wali and a hakim and a judge. Uh, and uh, he, there are many aphorisms or statements ascribed to Luqman, but in reality, he was not a prophet. Now it is mentioned by Qatada uh, and maybe one more person from that generation uh, that he was uh, a Nabi. But as I said, uh, the Sahaba themselves, Ibn Abbas and most of his students uh, and the great Tabi'un and onwards, they all said that Luqman is a wise man. He was not a prophet. By the way, as well, if you wanted to give an exhaustive list, we can add many more. I mean, this is not an exhaustive. In Surah Yasin, Allah mentions the three, uh, the three people uh, that were sent to the town. And you actually find, and again, early Islam, some people assume these to be three, uh, three uh, uh, prophets or three messengers. And that is because they said, uh, we have been sent to you. Uh, and so uh, a number of people assumed that these are actually prophets, one after the other. So there were two prophets and a, th a third came. And in reality, this is again, uh, a misunderstanding of the verse. These aren't three prophets, uh, rather they were three disciples of Jesus, three of the followers of Jesus Christ. And they are saying that, that Allah has sent the message of Jesus to all of us, okay? So the message of Jesus is sent to 
the people and so we are coming to you to spread the gospel, to spread the good news, to spread the message of Jesus. So uh, again, there's many other figures, but I wanted to emphasize the ones that there's a lot of controversy over and the biggest controversy is over uh, uh, Khidr, uh, the, the companion of Musa. And inshallah, one day we're gonna come and discuss that story in uh, detail. Now we now move on to the next uh, topic uh, and that's going to be uh, a significant top por portion of today's lecture and that is the issue of uh, the prophethood of women. Were there any female prophets? And this is a question that uh, has been revived in our times. Uh, it, it was a discussion that was, uh, uh, that was occurring over a thousand years ago. And by and large, uh, the Ummah had achieved uh, uh, what not unanimous consensus, even though it has been claimed, but they achieved a, a normative stance. And then of course, in light of all of the social changes taking place, the various trends that we are now witnessing uh, that stem from the modern uh, tide of rethinking through what it means to be male and female and gender and gender roles, that uh, obviously in the course of all of this discussion, uh, the notion of female prophets, prophetesses, has taken on a new significance. Uh, and that is because obviously, uh, the notion of, of uh, female prophets, uh, it uh, might be used by some of these modern controversies taking place uh, to somehow aid them in their new understandings of gender and gender roles to claim that uh, yes, men and women were both uh, prophets. From our perspective, modern controversies should not be back projected onto the past. From our perspectives, all of these trends that come and go and all of these new understandings and whatnot, they should not affect the reality of what happened in the past. What happened, happened, and let us see the facts. Were there actually female prophets um, or not? And we begin by stating that it has been claimed by a number of very reputable and very famous ulama and uh, great scholars of the past that there have been female prophets. And foremost amongst these people is uh, Abu al-Hassan al-Ash'ari, al uh, the founder of one of the main theological schools of Islam, the Ash'arite school. I have an entire lecture uh, or a Q&A that I talk about uh, the differences between the various Sunni groups and the Ash'ari school uh, historically for the last uh, 800 years has been the dominant trend within Sundism. And the founder of this uh, movement, Abu al-Hassan al-Ash'ari, uh, he claimed that there were uh, at least six uh, female prophets, Hawa, Hawa, the wife of Adam, uh, Sara, uh, which is of course the wife of Ibrahim salam, the mother of Musa, Hajar, the mother of Ismail, Asiya, the wife of Fir'aun, and Maryam, the mother of Jesus. And the way that he derived this is that he claimed that if any angel sent was sent by Allah with a command or with an information, because naba means a command or naba means an information. And so if an angel is sent by Allah with that type of information or command to a female, then by linguistic definition, this female becomes a nabiyya because Allah gave her a naba directly via an angel. And so he said that we have at least six of these uh, confirmed. And so definitely Abu al-Hasan al-Ash'ari uh, is very clear in this in his book that uh, he did affirm uh, the, the uh, prophethood of these six uh, females. And other scholars as well concurred with 
uh, him, in particular groups of scholars of Andalus. It appears that uh, for a number of uh, decades, if not centuries, many of the scholars of Andalus were sympathetic to this position and foremost amongst them is Imam Al-Qurtubi from Cordova. Qurtubi from Cordova, the famous Cordova city. Al-Qurtubi is called Al-Qurtubi because he was the greatest scholar of Qurtuba, uh, Cordova. And Qurtubi uh, says the correct position is that Maryam is a Nabiyyah. Maryam is a Nabiyyah, a female prophet because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired her via an angel. And as for Asiya, the wife of Fir'aun, he said there is no evidence to indicate that she is a Nabi. So Qurtubi looks at this list and he basically says, well, that's a bit of a stretch to make all six. We don't know all six. And so maybe some of them are definitely Maryam is and Asiya, we don't know for sure. And so Qurtubi is still affirming the concept of a prophetess uh, existing, i.e. a female uh, prophet. And perhaps the most oft quoted authority in this regard is none other than the eccentric polymath. And by eccentric, I don't mean in any diminishing manner uh, or a derogatory manner. He's just eccentric, meaning he's atypical. He's a very interesting figure and persona. And the more you study him, the more uh, intrigued you get. And that is the famous, once again, Andalusian scholar Ibn Hazm. Ibn Hazm. Ibn Hazm mentions in his in his book, Al-Fisal Fil-Millali Wal-Nihal, which is a multi-volume book that documents the controversies of Islamic theology and documents, you know, what groups have said and which groups say what and why there's differences of opinion. Uh, uh, Ibn Hazm says that according to his interpretation and understanding, the majority of ulama claimed that a woman can be a prophet. So Ibn Hazm ascribes this to the majority. Now we're gonna see this is a claim and uh, it's interesting that other scholars claim the exact opposite of this. And so we have these, these claims and counterclaims going on at the same time. So Ibn Hazm says that from his perspective, this is a done deal that of course there are female prophetesses, but he says, interesting, and Ibn Hazm died at the uh, uh, in the fifth century of the Hijra, so 400s, he's alive, right? Ibn Hazm says that in his time frame, a big controversy occurred in the city of Qurtuba, Right, so again, Cordova in Spain. And some people said it is impossible that there are female prophets. And others said, this is an issue we should not be discussing. And others said, only Allah will ever know. And Ibn Hazm then comments, I do not know of any evidence that they can use to deny that females can be prophets, except the verse in the Quran, that, that we have never sent a prophet, except that they are men, uh, sorry, we have not sent a Rasul, except that he is a man that we have inspired. And uh, Ibn Hazm then comments, this verse mentions Rasul, not Nabi. And we're talking about prophetesses, Nabi, Nabiya. We're not talking about uh, a Rasula. We're not talking about uh, a female Rasul. We're talking about a female Nabi. And he says there is no dispute that there have never been a female Rasul. The dispute is over a female Nabi. And the verse that is quoted that is in the Quran, that illa rijalan, which mentions that all of the Rusul were men, rijal. He says this is about Rasul. By the text of the verse, it doesn't mention uh, Nabi. And he says that the fact that an angel came to these women and informed them of something uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes them a Nabiya by definition. And so uh, he says, for example, that uh, Allah says with regards to Ibrahim's wife, Sarah, uh, So the angels came to the house of Ibrahim alayhi salam and 
the, the angel sat down, Ibrahim presented him the food and the angel said, basically, we're not going to, to eat here. And Ibrahim became scared. What are these people? Who are they? They look different. They, 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 they are interacting in a different manner. And so he became per perturbed. And then the angel said, Inna rusulu rabbika. We are the uh, angels coming to your, uh, to where Allah's angels sent to you to inform you of all of this and uh, to tell you that, uh, you know, all of this is going to happen. And so, Sarah stood up and she laughed out loud. And so the angels said to Sarah, The angel said to Sarah that you're going to have Ishaq and not only will you have Ishaq, you will get Ya'qub, a grandson from Ishaq as well. Now, Ibn Hazm says, here is an angel, here is Sarah, the angel is telling and communicating to Sarah information that is from the Ilm al-Ghayb. This is a naba, this is a news. And so the fact that the angel is communicating by linguistic definition, Sarah becomes a Nabiya. Okay, so this is Ibn Hazm's argument. And uh, they also, uh, this group here, the group that believes in female prophetesses, uh, they also argue with the story of Mari, um, with the story of uh, the mother of Musa, the mother of Musa, that uh, the mother of Musa threw Musa into the river, uh, and this she did based on a revelation, based on a inspiration, not revelation, especially inspiration, right? Uh, so we gave wahi to the mother of Musa that you suckle him. That once you are scared, you are worried that the, that the, the soldiers are gonna come and take him, then throw him into the uh, river and cover him in this manner and whatnot. So the word used, فَأَوْحَيْنَا Okay, so this is explicit in the Quran. You can look this up, Surah Qasas and other surahs. فَأَوْحَيْنَا So the word used by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wahi. And so this group says, Allah is saying, we sent wahi to the mother of Musa. And wahi is something that is given to prophets. And therefore, and, and also by the way, they would say, how can a lady throw her son into the river? I mean, what lady does that? You know, this is something that doesn't come from the mind of a sane and rational person. This is something that only comes, uh, and obviously if you're insane, but she wasn't insane, or else Allah is telling you, just like Allah told Ibrahim to leave Hajar and Ismail and I'll take care of them. You don't do that. You just don't leave them unless Allah tells you, in which case you put your trust in Allah and you realize Allah has a plan that you don't understand. So these are some of the evidences. There's also the famous evidence in Sahih Bukhari and others that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that كَمُولَ مِنَ الرِّجَالِ كَثِيرٌ وَلَمْ يَكْمَلْ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ إِلَّا مَرْيَمَ إِبْنَةِ عِمْرَانَ وَآسِيَ بِنْتِ مُزَاحِمٍ إِمْرَأَةُ فِرْعَوْنَ That amongst men, many are those that have reached kamal, perfection. And amongst women, none have reached perfection except Maryam, the daughter of Imran, and Asiya, the binti Muzahim, the wife of Fir'aun. Now, Ibn Hajar comments on this, and he says, some have derived, he does not derive, some have derived, he distances himself. Like this is an opinion, he does not endorse it. Some have derived from this hadith that Maryam and Asiya were female prophets because the word Kamula is used. And Kamal implies perfection and the pinnacle of perfection. And therefore, if there is a perfect human, there is no concept of a perfect human other than the prophets. Therefore, the fact that 
The Prophet ﷺ is saying, there are only two women that have achieved kamal. And he says, Maryam and Asiya. So Ibn Hajar says, some people have derived from this that they must have been prophetesses because how do you reach kamal and you're just a righteous lady? How do you reach kamal and you're just a saliha or a siddiqa? Because there are many salihat, there are many siddiqa. This is something that wouldn't be that difficult. Ibn Hajar is saying, some people say that. So the fact that kamal is used, so then it makes them prophetesses. Now, uh, by the way, Ibn Hajar did not endorse the opinion, to be very clear. He just simply saying some people have derived this. Now, uh, so the main scholars who endorse this are Al-Ash'ari, Al-Qurtubi and Ibn Hazm. These are the three main names that are quoted about female uh, prophets. And these are the summary of their arguments. Now, in contrast to this, pretty much everybody else uh, disagrees with this notion. And uh, a number of them have claimed there is ijma' that all of the prophets are men. Now, clearly with our utmost respect to them, there cannot be ijma' when I've just quoted you three people whose books are still around and all three of them are uh, very reputable. And in fact, Ibn Hazm is saying that he doesn't even know there's a controversy. Why should there be a controversy? The majority say this. So from his mindset, and it does appear to be the case that at least in the lands of Andalus for a, a significant period of time, large groups of people held uh, this opinion. Uh, and uh, that's why Ibn Hazm seems surprised that this is a modern, he is saying, this is a modern controversy to negate and that the bulk, according to him, uh, felt uh, otherwise. So uh, with our utmost respect, the issue of ijma' does not really uh, hold weight here because again, you see there has not been uh, ijma'. However, it is true to say that the bulk of the scholars outside of smaller groups of these have claimed otherwise, and that is that uh, these evidences don't, uh, are, are not weighty enough to consider these ladies to be uh, prophets or prophetesses. And uh, Ibn Hazm, sorry, Ibn Taymiyyah uh, mentions this position of Ibn Hazm, and he says, وَقَدْ شَذَّ Ibn Hazm. Ibn Hazm has an opinion that is solitary, shadh, which means it really goes against uh, the, the bulk of the uh, ummah. And Ibn Taymiyyah mentions that Al-Qadi Abu Bakr al-Baqillani and Abu Ya'la and Abu Al-Ma'ala Abu Al-Ma'ali al-Juwayni and all of them said, this is Ibn Taymiyyah I'm quoting, all of them said there is ijma' that uh, none of the uh, women have become Nabiyya and the Quran and Sunnah clearly uh, claim that all of the prophets are men and uh, they quote the verse وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوحِ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْقُرَىٰ that we have never uh, sent before you مَا أَرْسَلْنَا and remember Ibn Hazm says the word is أَرْسَلْنَا وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوحِ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْقُرَىٰ that Allah is saying we have never sent anyone before you except that he was a man from the people of the towns, from the people of the, uh, the villages and the cities, i.e. a cultured person. He wasn't from uh, the, the Bedouins, he wasn't from somebody that is away from society. And uh, the Ibn Taymiyyah says, and of the most explicit evidences, Ibn Taymiyyah says, is the verse in the Quran, مَلْ مَسِيحُ بْنِ مَرْيَمَ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ وَأُمُّهُ صِدِّيقَةٌ This is an explicit verse in the Quran, that Allah is saying uh, that Jesus, the son of Mary, is but a Rasul. Many are the Rasul that have come before him. And his mother was a Siddiqa. Wa ummuhu Siddiqa. 
Ibn Taymiyyah says, so ummuhu, the max that his mother reached was Siddiqah. And that is because as we know, the Quran is very clear that there are categories of righteous people. These are the four categories of righteous people. Nabiyin, Siddiqin, Shuhada, and Salihin. Nabi, we know what it is. Siddiq like Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Shuhada are the martyrs who they, they, their, their deaths are themselves signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves them. And then Salihin, righteous people. So the fact that explicitly in the Quran, Allah says, وَأُمُّهُ صِدِّيقًا His mother was a female Siddiq, Siddiqah. This therefore indicates for Ibn Taymiyyah and for many people that when Maryam, and Maryam, who is Maryam? Maryam is the one that Jibreel came to her. And this is in the Quran. So she saw Jibreel. She spoke with Jibreel and Jibreel told her, you're gonna have a son. So Jibreel is giving her information and she is seeing Jibreel and communicating with Jibreel. And yet still Allah says she is a Siddiqah. And this is a very key point that we're gonna uh, come back to now uh, or re reiterate here. Now the, the point that the majority say when they uh, when they uh, respond back to the points of Ibn Hazm and, and Imam Al-Qurtubi and Abu Al-Hasan Al-Ash'ari, what they say is that first and foremost, the notion of وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا That the notion of أَرْسَلْنَا and I mentioned this in I think two lectures ago, that Allah sends prophets and messengers. So the fact that Allah uses the word arsalna does not necessarily indicate that it is only a Rasul. Rather, Allah does send Anbiya, and this is explicit in the Quran, there are multiple verses that the verb arsala is mentioned with a Nabi, okay? Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is therefore saying that a Nabi can be sent doesn't mean he's not a Nabi. Allah sends a Nabi and Allah sends a Rasul as well. So the verse says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا We have only sent Rijal. And Rijal of course means uh, uh, men. And uh, another point that they mention is that Nabi has to have a public preaching, has to be exhorting, has to be guiding the people. And that's something that it is not common or it is not the norm. In fact, it was not the norm in any uh, society that women take on such a visible appearance. It didn't happen for women in past societies and it wouldn't have done the job to appoint a woman to be a Nabi uh, when the point of the Nabi is to go and inform and to argue and to present and to convey and to make sure that, uh, that there's a leadership and role model uh, position for broader uh, society. Also, they point out, and this is a key point here, that interacting with an angel does not make you a Nabi. And this is a very key point, that really this is the, the, the key point of difference between Ibn Hazm and, and, and others versus the other group. That their main point is that any interaction with a prophet, uh, with, a, with an angel, automatically makes you a, a Nabi. Any information that an angel conveys makes you a Nabi. But that's not the case because it is very, very clear that angels can come to human beings and angels can convey things to human beings and that doesn't make the human being a prophet. We know this because there are authentic ahadith in this regard, in Sahih Bukhari and others, that uh, Allah sent an angel to somebody who was visiting his brother. And uh, the angel said, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? And the man said, oh, I'm visiting my brother. Why? Do you have any money? No. Is there any uh, issue? No, I'm just visiting him for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The angel then says, I am an angel sent to you by Allah to tell you that such and such. Another point being, it's very clear. The angel conveys the information from Allah to this person. Didn't make him a prophet. And so so the point being that 
the main point, uh, the, the, the main contention is that the interaction with an angel. And we know from, from the seerah that a number of Sahaba saw angels and the angels are saying things that they don't, or they're not aware of. In the battle of Badr, in the battle of Uhud, a number of Sahaba saw angels. Uh, and when in the Sahih Bukhari, uh, when uh, one of the companions was reciting uh, Surah Al-Kahf and uh, lights came down and the Prophet said, that was an angel you saw. Uh, he saw a light uh, there that was listening to him. That was an angel that you saw. And uh, Aisha radiallahu anha, multiple times, she saw Jibreel in the form of a human and she could hear things here and there, but she didn't know. And uh, Jibreel came in the form of a human and asked, what is Islam, what is Iman, what is Ihsan? This is conveying information to all of the Sahaba. And yet the Sahaba did not become uh, prophets when they saw a human being in the shape of Jibreel. They were conveyed information. They're being taught things by Jibreel uh, and the Prophet Jibreel is asking questions and then verifying. Sadaqta, 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 right? And so they are learning things directly from Jibreel. It doesn't make all of the Sahaba sitting there into prophets, obviously. And, and of course, another point that can be added here is Ibn Taymiyyah's very clear point that when Allah Himself says that Maryam was a Siddiqa, then that's kind of sort of QED end of story. Like in the context of these verses, Allah is praising Isa and praising Maryam. And Allah says that Isa was a Rasul and Maryam was a Siddiqa. So in this context, this is a praise. If there had been a higher praise for Maryam, if she had been a Nabiya, then it would have been uh, appropriate to mention this uh, over here. And as for the hadith that uh, only two have perfected, well, there's another version that our Prophet ﷺ said that four are the women who have perfected their Iman. And he added Fatima and Khadija. And we all know that Fatima and Khadija were not prophetesses. And so perfecting Iman does not mean you are a prophet. So this shows us that you can perfect Iman outside of prophethood. And, and of course, the first part of the hadith negates the second part because our Prophet said, many are the men that have perfected their Iman and amongst the women, only two have done so. Many are the men. He didn't say the prophets have perfected their Iman. He is talking about the fact that there are many men who have perfected their Iman. So perfecting your Iman to the level that a non-prophet can do, it is possible. Obviously the Iman of the prophet is a higher level of perfection. Perfection has levels. It's not just a light switch on and off. Perfection has levels. And the prophets have achieved a higher level of perfection, no doubt about that. But the non-prophets, it is possible to achieve perfection. And our Prophet is saying, amongst the women, Maryam and Asiya have achieved the highest level. And in another hadith, he added that the greatest women in, in history were four, and Maryam and Asiya and Fatima and Khadija. And so this clearly indicates that we cannot use the hadith of Kamula uh, to mention that or to indicate that these were uh, prophetesses. Now, as for the notion of wahi to the mother of Musa, that Allah says, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ So we're going to come to this point in a few minutes. Wahi is of many, many different categories. And Allah says in the Qur'an that, وَأَوْحَىٰ رَبُّكَ إِلَىٰ النَّحْلِ Allah has inspired the bee. Allah has inspired the bee. This is in the Quran, in Surah An-Nahl, the chapter of the bee. Allah says, we have inspired the bee uh, to uh, take nests and hives uh, in uh, mountains and in trees and in the structures of men and then eat and drink you know, from the Allah's blessings and then produce a honey. That is going to be uh, beneficial. Now, we inspired the bees. 
Do the bees become prophets? Obviously not. So we're gonna talk about this in a few minutes. Inspiration is of many, many, many different categories. And there is a category of wahi that happens to uh, non-prophets. And that is the wahi that is given to the bees, the wahi that is given to the mother of Musa, uh, that there is something in Arabic is called ilham. And ilham is an intuition that we cannot be certain is from Allah or not. We cannot be certain. And if it happens, it happens. If it's from our own selves, then we can only blame ourselves. So ilham is not something that uh, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it cannot be definitively claimed. And so we can say that the mother of Musa got this type of ilham, that she just began thinking, this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do. She doesn't know where, she doesn't know how. And of course, there is no alternative because if you keep the baby at home, it will be massacred 100%. It's going to be killed, there's no question about that. And so doing something of this nature, it's actually not that uh, unfeasible to imagine because the alternative is certain death, whereas putting the baby in a basket and throwing in the river, Allah knows who's gonna find it, what's gonna happen, and so there's a possibility of survival. Therefore, with all of this, uh, we say that uh, the position of uh, the vast majority of scholars, and Al-Qadi Iyad mentions this in his Shifa, and Al-Juwaini, and Ibn Taymiyyah and others, they say that the Qawl Al-Jumhur, those who said that there's Ijma', again, uh, one of our problems, and, and this is a very awkward topic, because always we hear Ijma', 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 and the point is that uh, it's a totally different topic. Most of the time where Ijma' is claimed, there is not Ijma', but sometimes there is, and that's the question, who's gonna decide when? That's why you need to do a deeper dive, that's why you need to look critically. Just because somebody said there's unanimous consensus doesn't mean there is but generally speaking, when people, lots of people came unanimous consensus and we don't find a reputable scholar that has an alternative opinion, well then it does indicate unanimous consensus. However, if somebody says unanimous and then we find multiple people, you know, holding uh, the position that he is saying has unanimously been disagreed, then we can take that with a grain of salt. And this is one of those issues. It should not be said, it should not be said that there is unanimous consensus that uh, all the prophets are men. That is simply not true. Many are the scholars, and I quoted you three of the most famous ulama of our history who said that uh, women uh, can be prophets. However, uh, we can say the majority of ulama looked at their evidences, and this isn't a, uh, I mean, again, our problem comes, and this is a sensitive topic that, you know, people want to use this issue uh, of female prophets for a modern cause, right? Because they have their notions of gender and whatnot. And you know, that's a whole different topic. I definitely don't wanna go there right now and maybe one day I will and we'll worry about the refutations when they happen. But for now, I just wanna say that, you know, this notion of rethinking through gender and gender roles and whatnot, and then you wanna find female prophets to, to try to prove your particular narrative. You know, even if you were to follow Al-Qurtubi or Ibn Hazm or uh, Al-Ash'ari or others, it really doesn't solve the problem that you have. It's not an actual problem, it's a problem that is a modern creation because the type of equality you're asking for simply does not exist neither in the scriptures, nor in Islamic history, nor even in lived reality. Such an equality has never existed and frankly it still doesn't exist. And that is because, and that's a whole different discussion obviously, I mean, you know, the, the uh, Allah created two genders, each of them is equal in the eyes of Allah spiritually. And each of them has a role and a function, and each of them is equally blessed in their own ways. There is no competition, there is no uh, trying to match up each and every of the two uh, genders, each one has a role to play. But the point is that even if you were to claim a few of these figures are prophetesses, it still doesn't do it doesn't service your narrative or the narrative of some people that they have with this regard because, well, firstly, 
as Ibn Hazm himself says, nobody is claiming there is a female Rasul. Okay, khalas, right there, there's no equality. Nobody ever said in the history of Islam that there was a female Rasul. Okay, there is no, khalas, you, the whole point of equality, the type of equality you're trying to prove it doesn't exist. As well, even if you say that, oh, uh, Al-Ash'ari said there are six. Jayyid, okay, six versus 124,000. That is less than 0.01%. Where, what, what are you exactly proving in this regard? Even if you were to say uh, Ibn Hazm's opinion or Al-Ash'ari's opinion, how does that help you in this uh, claim that you're trying to make? No, it doesn't work and frankly, it's just a, a, a not a very academic, um, it's a bit of a desperate attempt to try to prove that which cannot be proven from the scripture, the entire scripture beginning to end and lived realities and our human history, not just Islamic history, human history teaches us that the male is not like the female as the Quran says and there is no competition it's a problem setting up a competition and trying to see you know Jannah doesn't lie under the feet of the one who gives the Jum'ah khutbah Jannah lies under the feet of the mother Allah blessed the mother with things that he did not bless the father with and Allah gave the father and men things that he did not, did not give to women and this is why this whole um, attempt to try to prove uh, this type of modern uh, agenda is simply not going to be conducive and rather than trying to reorient the scriptures and the, and the past, my honest advice is to reorient your own paradigm so as to be more in line with common sense and with religion and with history and frankly even with uh, biology, but that is a whole different uh, point altogether. Now, so we conclude this particular issue, we move on to the next topic now, but we conclude this particular issue by saying that yes, some ulama affirmed there were female prophets and they had their evidences, but the reality is that their definition of prophets was different than the definition of mainstream Muslims. That's really what is at stake here. It has nothing to do with feminism and femininity. It has to do with the definition of a prophet. If you say that a prophet is a human that uh, Allah Azza wa communicates with via an angel, then yes, according to that definition, yes, Maryam and uh, Sarah and others, they become prophets. But the problem with that is that that definition is simply not consistent because we know plenty of human beings whom prophets, whom angels communicated with and they didn't become prophets. And we already explained, was it two lectures ago, the definition of a prophet, what is it? And that is some uh, a person whom Allah has inspired and who then has to preach and teach. And you see all of these six alleged names, all of them, right, or I should say, none of them preached anything to anybody. None of them preached anything to anybody. Maryam, what is she doing? What is she going and preaching people to worship and to pray? That's her son, Jesus. Jesus, Isa is the one telling the people to pray and to fast. You know, that's the one that's doing the preaching. What preaching did Asiya do to the rest of mankind? What preaching did the mother of Musa do? So the notion of them being prophetesses, is it doesn't make sense at all, as I said. And this is nothing to do with gender and feminism. It's to do with definitions and it is to do with how, what is the role of a, uh, a prophet and who becomes a prophet. So uh, I, think, I think it is very clear and I, and I do of course agree with the, the majority, the bulk of the ummah and again it has nothing to do with modern controversies. It is the reality of our, our scriptures that uh, the ladies that are mentioned in the Quran, they are noble ladies uh, or in the sunnah they are noble ladies but they didn't become prophets by the visitation of the angels to them and Allah Azza wa knows best. Now we now move on to the next topic and we're going to continue this topic uh, to our next lesson as well because it's a very long topic and that is that 
uh, the prophets, of course, we've already mentioned that they're all human beings. We know that. But they're obviously not just like me and you, are they, right? There's got to be something different uh, about them, something that is special. So for the rest of today's lecture, and inshallah, our next lecture, we're going to be doing a deeper dive into the specialities of the prophets. What makes the prophets special? What are the unique characteristics that the prophets have that we do not have, okay? Because the prophets are, yes, definitely flesh and blood. Allah says in the Quran that I am just a bashar like you. I am a human being like you. The prophets were normal human beings, flesh and blood, DNA. If you poke them, they're going to bleed. They, as Allah says in the Quran, every prophet walks in the souq and he eats and drinks. Allah says in the Quran, Jesus and his mother, no prophet, you know, didn't eat and drink. Every prophet is fully human. But clearly, prophets have certain blessings, certain uh, privileges and statuses and ranks that we do not have. And actually, we know this uh, because our Prophet ﷺ told us so. In a very famous hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, he said, seeing a true dream is one out of 46th of what makes a prophet. Okay, it's a very interesting hadith. Seeing a true dream, Ru'ya as-saliha, in another version, Ru'ya as-sadiqa, juz'un min sittatin wa arba'ina juz'an min al-nubuwa. It is one juz out of 46 aspects of being a prophet. Now, what this hadith is saying is that prophets have 46 things we do not have, right? They might not have even more, but this hadith mentions there are 46 things that we do not have, and one of them is a true dream and what a true dream means of course is that whatever the dreams the prophets have there they 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 come real and al-qadi abu bakr ibn al-arabi uh, again also an andalusian scholar he said these 46 things that make a prophet no one knows what they are except the angels and the prophets yani themselves we do not know what they are and uh the uh, what the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam conveyed to us is that the ru'ya or the good dream is one of them. And that is because in a good dream, a person sees the ilm al-ghayb that otherwise he would not know. Because you see, what is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who is conveyed information by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Now, one of the things that the prophets have that we do not have, and one of the mechanisms of communication is to see the future in a dream. And our Prophet ﷺ said, this aspect of prophecy, it remains, and you don't become a prophet, because to be a prophet, you need to have all 46 of these things. But there's one thing that any one of us can have it, any one of us can have it, and that is to see a true dream. Our Prophet ﷺ said, لَمْ يَبْقَى مِنَ النُّبُوَّةِ إِلَّا الْمُبَشِّرَاتِ Nothing is left of prophethood other than good news, mubashirat. They said, what do you mean, Ya Rasulullah, with good news? What does this mean, Mubashirat? So the Prophet wasallam said, the true and the correct dream, Ru'ya As-Saliha. This hadith is reported in Bukhari. Now what this hadith tells us is that all of this list of 46 is gone. No human being has anything on that list. These specialities that the prophets have, it is completely, the door has been shut with the going of our Prophet ﷺ, but one aspect remains, and only one, and that is 
true dreams. And of course, the concept of dreams, I have spoken about this a lot and any, many scholars and authors, you can uh, look up this online and whatnot, this is not the time to get into that. But the point of course is that, what is a true dream? A true dream is a vision that you have while you're asleep that shows you something in the future. And it could be an exact vision, you see exactly what's gonna happen, or it could be symbolic and somebody interprets it for you and it predicts the future. And so a true dream is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a true dream is telling you something good. By the way, I, uh, I've spoken about this in other lectures, Mubashirat by definition are always good news. Nightmares are never from Allah. Bad news in a dream is never from Allah. Dreams are always positive if they're from Allah. Dreams are always positive. Again, I don't wanna go down that tangent. There are three types of dreams. Dreams from Allah, dreams from our own waswasa and souls, and nightmares from shaitan. And the nightmare from shaitan, that which is from shaitan, it is that which terrifies us, we wake up in a sweat, or that which is sexual in nature, this is from shaitan. So anything that is vulgar and sexually explicit, uh, this is from shaitan, anything that we, we, we see something horrifying, horrible, you know, an accident, a death that terrifies us. We wake up in a sweat. Anything of this nature, it is from shaitan. We simply ignore it. It is not the future. Shaitan does not know the future. Iblis does not know what's going to happen tomorrow. He just wants to irritate you and scare you. That's not from uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ignore it completely. Seek refuge in Allah from shaitan, uh, turn away, you know, pray to rak'ah, do wudu, do whatever needs to be done, do not give it any attention. The the dreams of the mind, we already talked about the many, many lectures, and that is that, you know, somebody might be daydreaming of, of having a car or whatever, and then he sees himself driving the car. This is your own mind. The, the, the main sign of this dream is that you forget it as soon as you wake up, right? The, so uh, it, it goes away very quickly, and we dream pretty much every single night. <laughs> And these are the dreams of our own, you know, minds, the, the, our own, uh, and the, the dreams that don't, don't make any sense to us at all. The dreams that they're linked to if somebody knocks on the door and in the dream, somebody's knocking within the dream. This is our own waswasa. It's nothing to do from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or from shaitan. And this is the most common type and it is something we completely neglect and ignore. And the sign of this, as I said, it doesn't stick in our memory. The main point of this is the dreams that come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those dreams are always uh, uh, either positive explicitly or cryptic but not negative, right? That's the key point here. You can have a cryptic dream that you don't understand but it's not gonna terrify you. Uh, uh, well, again, I don't wanna go into too much because uh, the more detail we go into, uh, sometimes a dream might make you feel scared of Allah. That might be from Allah. If the fear is of Allah in the dream, then of course it is from Allah. But if the fear is for anything of the dunya, this cannot be from Allah, this is from shaitan. So again, keep this point in mind. Sometimes a righteous man can see uh, a dream that makes him scared of Allah in the dream. Okay, that is yes, Allah is basically giving him a wake up call. Allah is telling him to get his act together and whatnot. And this is a gift from Allah to a person to correct himself and, and whatnot. But uh, there is no dream that is from the Mubashirat that will cause somebody to be terrified of the dunya, to be terrified of going to work, to be terrified of sitting in the car. Anything of that nature is from shaitan. In any case, that was a whole tangent, wasn't expecting to go down that one. I was just supposed to go over this. So we were saying that uh, the prophets have a number of things. The Prophet said 46, but in reality, again, it could be more, but we know at least 46 are there. And one of them is 
true dreams. And we have multiple examples of true dreams of the prophets. Uh, most famously, uh, the Prophet wasallam saw when they were going to Hudaybiyah, when they're going to the Hudaybiyah, when they're going uh, in the incident of Hudaybiyah, in the sixth year of the Hijrah, when the Prophet wasallam was uh, taking an Umrah expedition to Mecca for the first time, uh, for the first time since leaving Mecca, you all know what happened, that they stopped him and they, they weren't able to perform uh, the Umrah. Now on the way to Mecca, the Prophet wasallam said, I saw a dream last night that I saw myself performing tawaf around the Kaaba. And the Sahaba were elated. Alhamdulillah, khalas, it's gonna happen. Now when they were stopped, there was grumbling. And one of them said, Ya Rasulullah, didn't you tell us that you saw the dream that we're gonna do tawaf around the Kaaba? And the Prophet said, indeed I saw it and it shall happen. But did I tell you it would be this year? I saw the dream, it's going to happen. But did I tell you it will be this year? No. Okay, and what happened? The very next year that dream came true. The very next year when they came and did Umrah al-Qadha, that dream came uh, true. And of course, uh, the famous hadith of Aisha as well, that uh, the, 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 the beginning of the prophethood uh, for the Prophet wasallam was the good dreams that he would see, the true dreams he would see. For six months, he would see a dream that would happen the next day. Every single night he would go to sleep and he would see something's gonna happen the next day. He meets somebody, a business transaction, an incident in the Kaaba, and the exact same dream that he saw, it would happen the next day. This is Mubashirat, this is Ru'ya al-Sadiqah. And of course, our scholars have commented that six months is exactly 146th of the prophethood of our Prophet ﷺ because he was inspired directly uh, uh, from Allah for 23 years. And six months was pre-prophethood, he is seeing these dreams. So six months is 0.5, 23 years. So 0.5 over 23 equals one over 46. And that matches exactly what the number of the Prophet ﷺ said when he said that true dreams are 146th of uh, prophethood. And of course, we also have the famous dream of Ibrahim salam that Ya Bunayya inni ara fil manami anni adbahuka fandur madha tara. That, O oh my son, I have seen in my dream that I am slaughtering you, I am doing dhabah of you. So Ibrahim saw a dream that he is sacrificing uh, Ismail. And in that dream, uh, he, he saw it, so he realized this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why he told his son that this is a command from Allah. Basically, he interpreted it as a command. Now, by the way, there's a whole tangent here about a lot of people are skeptical of this. A lot of Muslims, they say, how could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, command Ibrahim to sacrifice his own innocent son? Uh, this is an unjust command. They said this is their own you know, interpretation. In reality, actually, we can easily respond to this. Well, firstly, Allah is capable of doing anything, whatever Allah wants. He does. But secondly, and more importantly, Allah didn't explicitly command Ibrahim anything. Allah did not say, kill an innocent child. He didn't say that. Rather, Ibrahim saw a vision. And in that vision, Ismail is lied down flat and Ibrahim has an ax, he's raising it, okay? That vision, it took place because the dreams of the prophets are true. I want you to understand this point. The snippet that Ibrahim saw in his sleep, that Ismail is lying flat and the knife is going up, right? Exactly what Ibrahim saw. Did that happen, yes or no? Yes, it did, khalas, that's the point. And that's why when Ibrahim 
raised the axe. فَلَمَّا أَسْلَمَ وَتَلَّهُ الْجَبِينَ وَنَادَيْنَاهُ أَنْ يَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ قَدْ صَدَّقَتَ الرُّؤْيَا You have fulfilled the dream. Okay, you have fulfilled it. So it's very interesting that when it came to this command, Allah did not actually command verbally. Allah showed the future. And it was the future. And it became the future. Right, so it's a very interesting point here. So you get out of this issue, the moral conundrum, because again, you have a bunch of you know these pseudo philosophers. They try to um, problematize the, that which really is not problematic, and they say, "How could Allah have commanded?" And the response is, as I said, well, He didn't actually command. It was simply an indication uh, of a dream, and the dream indirectly is a is a, a, a something that's going to happen. Right, the dreams indicate the future, and what Ibrahim saw, in fact, did happen. Okay, so the point is that, and of course, only the prophets have, uh, uh, you know, dreams that are certain. The rest of us, we are never going to be 100% certain. The rest of us, yes, we can hope and guess, but in reality, uh, we cannot be certain. And that's by one of the differences between our dreams and the dreams of the prophets, that because we have different types of dreams, we can never be absolutely certain. And if it is a cryptic dream, then we cannot be certain of its interpretation as well. The prophets can be certain, not us. That is another gift that is given to the prophets. They can interpret uh, dreams in a way that we cannot interpret even the best of mankind. In a famous hadith in Bukhari, the Prophet saw a dream and Abu Bakr said, O Messenger Allah, let me interpret it. And uh, uh, when, when he interpreted it, the Prophet said, you are right in some things and wrong in the others. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was not able to interpret 100% accurately uh, and the Prophet obviously was able to interpret it. So the point being that uh, the, the issue for us as non-prophets, that yes, it is true that dreams, can be a type of prophecy from Allah. But the question is, how do you know for certain? What if, what if it is from your own waswasa? Because yes, I said, generally you forget your waswasa dreams, but that's generally. Sometimes, like if you really are, let me give you a simple example that, yani, again, uh, you know, uh, real, realistic example that suppose, mashallah, tabarakallah, yani, you know, uh, boy and girl are mashallah, they wanted to get married together and whatnot, and they're making dua and they're whatnot, so the boy sees the dream that I have married the girl, okay? How does he know that this is from Allah or from his own waswasa? How does he know? He, he, he does not know. He cannot know for certain. And therefore, if that marriage does not take place, he cannot go around saying, oh Allah, you showed me the dream. How does he know? So this is really the issue that comes here that nobody can compare our dreams to the dreams of the prophets. As for the prophets, they do not dream except from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all of their dreams without exception are portends of the future. All of their dreams indicate something that's gonna happen in the future. So this is one of the main points of difference between uh, us and the uh, prophets. Now obviously this leads us to the other issue, which is that uh, the fact that prophets are prophets, obviously the main thing that makes them prophets is not just dreams, it is the notion of inspiration. Dreams are one type of inspiration. Dreams are one type of inspiration. What makes prophets prophets, the main thing, the number one issue is obviously direct communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the prophets and the certain knowledge that the prophets have that this is a communication from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the notion of 
wahi. And the Arabic word wahi, it means to communicate in a manner that is not detectable to other people. That's what wahi means. You are communicating in a way or a fashion or a form that others are not aware of. And Allah mentions in the Quran, Surah An-Nisa, verse 163. Inna ilayka. كَمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ نُوحٍ وَالنَّبِيِّنَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ وَالنَّبِيِّنَ بَعْدِهِ وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْمَعِيلَ وَإِسْحَاقِ عَقُوبَ الْأَسْبَاطِ وَعِيسَى وَيُوبَ وَيُنُسَى وَهَارُونَ وَسُلَيْمَانِ وَآتَيْنَا دَاوُدَ الزَّبُورَ This is a very explicit verse which again it's common sense. We have inspired you إِنَّا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ as we gave wahi to Nuh and all of the Anbiya after him. So what makes the Prophet and Nuh and this long list of Ibrahim wa Ismaila wa Ishaq wa Yaquba wa Asbati wa Isa wa Ayuba wa Yunusa wa Haruna wa Sulaymana wa Atayna Dawood. What makes this long list different? The beginning of the verse, Inna awhayna. Allah's wahi has been given to them. So the main difference between us and the Prophets is of course the notion of wahi. And we already mentioned uh, 10 minutes ago or so that not every wahi makes you a Prophet. There is wahi that is generic. There is wahi that can be given to the non-Prophets. And the Quran is explicit that Allah awha to non-Prophets and He gives wahi even to the animals or to the creation. And we know uh, that uh, the Prophet ﷺ said that there's something called mulhamun, that they have ilham from Allah, that there's not going to be any Prophet after him, but there is intuition that comes from Allah, and that intuition, uh, if there's anybody in my ummah that has it, it is Umar ibn al-Khattab. So we have this notion of communication that is indirect, but it is not definitive and certain. And that is a type of wahi uh, that uh, we get, which is called ilham. It doesn't make us prophets. It does not make us prophets. What type of wahi comes to the prophets? The Quran mentions multiple categories. And the most famous verse is Surah Ash-Shura, verse 51. And inshallah, we'll mention the verse, explain it, and then pause and continue next week because this is a much longer discussion. The Quran mentions that wahi is a multiple types. It's not one type. How does Allah communicate? The realities are never going to be known to our limited minds. But the Quran tells us that there are different ways of doing that. And the most important verse in this regard is Surah Ash-Shura, verse 51. Surah Ash-Shura, verse 51. That Allah says that makana uh, that uh, it is not possible lirajulin uh, makana uh, uh, that it is not possible for a person uh, uh, to come uh, to uh, 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 so I'm forgetting the Arabic here. Yukalimullah illa wahyan o mi wara hijabin o yusar rasulan fiyuhi bi'idni ma yasha. Excuse me, sometimes my mind just goes blank as all of the huffal that happens sometimes, right? That it is not possible for a human uh, that Allah speaks to him, okay? And yukallimahullahu, Allah speaks to him. No bashar can be spoken to uh, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah says, إِلَّا وَحْيًا أَوْ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابٍ أَوْ يُرْسِلَ رَسُولًا فَيُوحِي بِإِذْنِ مَا يَشَاءَ Three things are mentioned. Look this up, Surah Shura, verse 51. It is not possible for a human to have Allah communicate with him except through wahi, or from behind a veil or curtain, or by sending a angel, basically another messenger, an angel, right? So that the angel then informs what Allah Azza wa wants to speak by his permission. So in this verse, we learn the very important reality that wahi from Allah to the prophets is not the same type. And there's different types of wahi. 
and this is uh, the notion of the categories of wahi. This verse mentions the highest three. Other scholars have derived another four or five or six. And so some scholars have eight or nine total categories. Ibn Qayyim has a famous category, uh, seven uh, uh, categories in his, in his book Zad al-Ma'ad. But this verse mentions the top three, that when Allah wants to, مَا كَانَ لِبَشِرٍ أَنْ يُكَلِّمَهُ اللَّهُ When uh, Allah wants to speak to a man, when Allah wants to speak to a human, it must be through one of three categories. And number one is uh, wahi, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts it into the heart of the Prophet directly. So the Prophet knows this is from Allah and this is only for the Prophet. If anybody who's not a Prophet says, God is speaking to me, he's lying. Allah does not speak to any except the Prophets and the Prophets are spoken to in different manners. So there is the speaking that is directly into the heart, illa wahyan, right? So there is the wahi that comes to the heart that the Prophets know Allah is telling me to do this. And how do they know? We're never going to know. It's not our responsibility. It is from their ilm al-ghayb. أو من وراء حجاب Or from behind the hijab of Allah. Allah has a hijab. This hadith is a sign Muslim. Allah has a veil. And that veil is there because the brightness of the nur of Allah is so powerful that the nur of Allah would destroy the entire creation because of the brilliance and the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah has taken a veil and that veil itself is light. And the Prophet sallallahu approached that hijab and he spoke to Allah from behind that hijab. And so uh, that's what Allah is saying, hijabin. And Ibn Abbas mentions and others that the Prophet spoke to Allah from behind the uh, hijab. And then the third category, he will send an angel and the angel will then inspire whatever Allah wants. And of course, the main angel is Jibreel, but other angels have also been sent by Allah uh, for other uh, messages to be given. But the primary angel that Allah has chosen for this task is of course the angel Jibreel. So this verse mentions the different categories of wahi. Inshallah, we're gonna stop here and then continue next week and we'll resume from exactly where we left off. And we'll talk about the categories of inspiration, the categories of wahi and then we'll move on to other uh, specific things that the prophets have until next time jazakumullahu khairan assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh ما كان حديثا يفترى ولكن تصديق الذي بين يديه وتفصيل كل شيء وهدى وهدى ورحمة لقوم يؤمنون